Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 255 for Monday, July 24th, 2023. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always, but unafraid of no ghost, is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. I am equipped and ready, and if you'd like to hear a little bit more about my Ecto-1 from Ghostbusters Afterlife Lego build that I just completed on Friday. We spent a good portion of the render distance talking about that, but also props, props designs, and uh, recommendations for different social media channels to follow. If you're into that kind of stuff, you can check out the render distance by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. And we also have a few perks. When you are a member, you can join the live recording of the Discord. You can participate in things like the monthly Minecraft Hangout and the quarterly Hangout. Speaking of, the July Minecraft Hangout and the quarterly Hangout for Q2, normally recorded in early July, have both been postponed a little bit because we are waiting for the repair of Johnny's major PC, uh, which makes all of our recording and editing just a little bit easier. So if you are a patron and you're waiting for those moments to happen, keep in touch with the Discord. We normally announce the dates and times for those kind of things in the announcements channel. Uh, and because of this, we'll be keeping people up to speed as to what the dates are as they shift around. Normally though, we record the monthly Minecraft Hangout on the last Saturday of the month. Uh, and the quarterlies happen kind of like roughly around the end of each quarter. Uh, but just because of some of the repairs that's happening right now, uh, we're going to be postponing those until we know a little bit more. Yes, I'm still awaiting word on when exactly I can pick up my PC or when it can be shipped back to me. So in the meantime, I've not played a lot of Minecraft. <laughs> I've, I've actually just started my third week, effectively, of being away from Minecraft. And while I could obviously, like, I could pick up the mobile version or I could play on the PS4 that I've got downstairs in the living room, I sort of feel like if I'm not working towards some sort of video content, it feels really weird to me playing Minecraft without that. And I know that I'd just discard whatever worlds I was working on when the PC got back and I was able to continue playing in survival guides. So I've I've kind of been on a, on a leave of absence from Minecraft. Thankfully, I still had a couple of videos coming out for the survival guide, which I mentioned briefly on last week's show. But the main focuses this week were setting up a furnace auto smelter so that I can smelt all of the huge... Uh, amounts of iron and copper I got from the ore veins that I dug out in the episode prior. Um, and I really wish I'd had time to design a house around it um, because I sort of figured out where I have that long stone walkway that comes out of the front door of my starter house. I'm kind of tacking on additional buildings to the flat sections of that walkway where the staircase turns a corner. And that's a really nice way of retrospectively justifying the really long, weird stairway that I built <laughs> to kind of spiral up to the front door of that house. So I'm I'm excited about that. Once I get the PC back, I'm probably going to work on a couple more builds, maybe on streams and that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, introducing auto smelting, just interactions between hoppers and furnaces and how it was possible to still get XP from automatically smelting stuff, that, that sort of felt essential to the level of technology that people are going to be working with at that point. Plus the fact that I just brought home a lot of iron allowed me to build as many hoppers as I wanted to for any kind of automatic setup. So I just went with eight furnaces, minecarts delivering the fuel and inputting the items, a hopper chain removing everything from the furnaces and depositing it in the chest, and it's all working pretty well. Obviously having that amount of copper then led me into farming bees. So I don't have a honey farm set up yet, but honeycomb is now generating itself automatically in a nice little compact, I think like three by five footprint 
uh, bee farm. So that's that's working pretty well. And it was a, a fun opportunity to remind myself of some of the nuances of bee mechanics. Like, I'd forgotten until this video that you can grow um, bee nests in a variety of trees, but they need to have plow uh, flowers planted near the base of the tree. So uh, whenever you're growing the saplings, you need to have a flower within two blocks of the tree. And that's something I, I basically reminded myself of on the fly. I went down, I, I plonked down a couple of birch saplings and went, oh, hang on a minute. No, I need to put flowers around these as well. And then I was rewarded with the first birch tree that grew whilst I was off doing something else had a bee nest in it. <laughs> so it nice. kind of helped, helped the production of the video along a little bit and helped to bolster my, my bee population. But yeah, now that I'm getting honeycomb, we can do stuff with waxing copper and waxing signs and start looking at candles, honeycomb blocks, all of the other stuff that it's possible to use honeycomb for. And I think honeycomb is a really good example when people keep asking, like, what's the deal with copper? Like, why doesn't copper do more stuff considering that iron and gold and all of these other materials that have been in the game for a while already have a bunch of different recipes? And I think honeycomb, having had some stuff added to it more recently, is also a good sign for materials like copper that don't seem to have a whole lot of uses yet but we had the brush added recently and maybe in the future there'll be even more reasons to farm a whole bunch of copper i think a super smelter or a auto smelter is probably one of the more satisfying things to build yeah. in minecraft mm -hmm. because you you learn early on that you can build a furnace and you can smelt certain things you know usually it's like you know cobblestone to smooth stone but you're sitting there waiting like one at a time unless you decide oh i'll make four furnaces but then you got to put stuff in them and you got to manage it all yeah they, t they and... take a lot of babysitting furnaces in the yeah. early game at least yeah yeah or or you've got to load them all up and then go okay now i need to go do something else for like a really long time as i wait for all this to happen uh and then remember to go back you know figure out how long it takes and and i i love the idea of using minecarts to distribute things they're once you kind of understand how it all works they become very easy to set up so if you are you know working on a big mining operation and you wanted to have that kind of stuff going in the background while you were digging out more iron or more copper then you absolutely could and uh, I feel like it's a it's a fun way to um, have that early introduction into automation. Yeah, it's one of the I think it's one of the stepping stones to more complicated things in, in the future. And it's also really satisfying if you have it set up in a way that you can see the front of all the furnaces when they all start to they all light up. <laughs> yes, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. In they, sequence, it's really fun. They they kind of uh, yeah move from from left to right or whatever, and they kind of yeah they 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 light up like the. Uh, the kind of LED panel just kind of flowing from one direction to the other. Yeah, very, very satisfying. It reminds me of uh, the dwarves turning on the forge in, was it the Desolation of Smog? I think that was the <laughs> second one. Yeah, anyway, yeah, it's, yeah. It's fun. They they light the they light the furnaces in the forge in in the inside the mountain, and it's it's pretty cool when it all lights up. And it does. It reminded me actually because I, I rewatched that somewhere in the last few years in the middle of like having started minecraft after watching it the first time and it's like oh yeah it's like a furnace coming on yeah <laughs> like, like your brain just kind of clicks and goes oh yeah i've done this before it I is know this uh, feeling. it is funny the stuff like that that will remind you of minecraft when you've been playing for a while and that's actually something mm -hmm. we're going to touch on in the main discussion a bit later is bringing that that minecraft player's mindset into the real world and getting inspiration from outside influences but before we get on to any of that obviously we have to talk about what's new with you uh how's the citadel doing this week 
So I've been dialing back my streaming a bit. I now only hit uh, the Citadel three times a week. Uh, it is on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I have been stuck inside with some very rainy weather here in the province. And so I wanted to be outside in Minecraft. So I took the opportunity to decorate the south lawn uh, and the south wall of the keep. So there's this kind of green space that we were talking about a little while ago and uh, I had finished the gradient on the wall. So then I layered in some vines and some flowers and some bushes and things crawling up the wall, but also kind of spreading out over the lawn. So it didn't look like it was um, traversable. Like I didn't want it to feel like it was inviting to then walk over. I kind of made it so like there's a bush in your way almost every step you take. So the idea is to look at it, not kind of jump around through it. And I was able to achieve a pretty interesting custom looking plant by starting with uh, mangrove and mangrove roots going up into jungle leaves, then into azalea, then into flowering azalea, and finally hanging cherry blossoms on the end of the vines as they kind of curl up the wall or hang out over the river a little bit. And I was worried that the cherry blossoms would be a little bit too bright, and they ended up being uh, something that I needed to, to fix later in terms of the balance of the area. However, with the flowering azalea with the purple flowers they kind of transition quite nicely in that it looks like the flowering azalea is an early stage of maybe what a cherry blossom could look like in this particular situation and so it added a lot of um, vibrancy and removed some of the doom and gloom to the very gray you know kind of bleak dark kind of wall of of the south keep and Something I completely forgot about that added a lot of life to the thing was that the petals drop um, from the cherry blossoms. Like there's an animation of particle effects. Yeah, completely kind of like about. having a spore blossom nearby or something. They do leave those particles kind of in the air. Yeah. Yeah. And it's much more subtle. So you, you really, you don't, if you're looking at it, nothing might be happening. And then the next time you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, there's petals falling. That's cool. And that prompted the idea to uh, break out of my green is bright enough mindset because i find that when you're working with brown and gray all the time in a medieval area when you add green you're like yeah that's nice and bright and so i don't have a lot of flowers around because when i start to add white or red or yellow flowers they tend to like be like neon signs in the middle of a uh, of a medieval village and so i used the pink petals combined with putting azalea saplings in the ground so that you see the top of the sapling so it looks like the it's a solid block or a block surface, but then you get the same flowering azalea pattern and combining that with pink petals on the edges of it. And in some ways I wanted it to look like little wildflowers. I didn't want it to look like a cultivated garden. I didn't want it to make it look like something that someone was keeping up, but I just wanted like maybe some wildflowers, you know, at the bottom of the bushes and things like that. Uh, and then I also used the pink petals, even though they look like flowers up close, when you're not on top of them, from a distance, it looks like the pink petals might be a gathering of petals on the ground. And I put them underneath a couple of the cherry blossom uh, blocks that were above the, on the wall. So it looks like the, the falling blossoms have collected on the ground a little bit. And that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of layering. I don't go into these things with a, lot, uh, with a big plan. It's just kind of like a... I know I want to do the cherry leaf thing or the cherry blossom thing. I know I want to have some vines crawl up the wall. The rest of it is just me walking back and forth like a crazy person and putting things in where my artist eye says, I need a bush there. I need a grass there. And so it takes a while, but ultimately the, the end product was um, to my liking anyway. 
I think it's great. I think it looks like the the flower parts of the the azalea leaves blending in towards the the cherry blossoms. I think that looks really solid. And it may just be Thanks, like man. the the shaders kind of adding a little bit of lightness in terms of like the sun shining on them, but I do think it it looks as though the flowers are sort of beginning further back along the the vine or whatever it is and then kind of like clustering towards the end. And having done a bunch of gardening in real life recently, it's kind of reminiscent of the way some plants grow. Like you start to see more kind of buds and, and blossoms and stuff. Even on like the blackberry bush that I'm cultivating in my back garden right now, there's like little flowers kind of further along and like spots of color here and there. And then it all concentrates on the end of the plant. So that's a uh, a fun way of building them. And I especially like incorporating the azalea shrubs like the azalea kind of sapling into the ground alongside the pink petals and i think that that gives a a really neat texture to it it's something i haven't done enough of is using them almost like alternate grass blocks as long as they're surrounded by other things so you can't necessarily see that it's an azalea shrub i think that's kind of an, a neat illusion and provides an alternate mossy grassy texture to blend in with all of the other grass palette that we have now Exactly. You know, you've got grass, you've got moss, you've got moss carpet, and then you've got, if you want to get into like concrete powder and things like that, you can, but depending on your biome, that color might not always work. Uh, and I do find that if you're in a plains, or in my case, I'm in a sunflower plains, uh, the grass color really works well with using azalea saplings as an alternative, especially if you've got azalea leaf blocks that you're using as bushes, which I use more often than I do oak because they're a newer uh, texture and they tend to look denser like mm -hmm. the the oak leaves tend to be very transparent uh, jungle leaves are dense but what i like about all of this is that that gradient is really useful as well like you're talking about as you get closer to the end of the plant you see more flowers and buds coming well the, even if you don't have flowers happening i find going from uh the bottom of of the the bush which is sometimes even roots uh, mangrove roots that are surrounded by leaves and then it goes up into a couple of jungle leaf blocks and then it goes into azalea and i find that that color shift uh, uh really helps because it the jungle kind of reads as like a slightly darker azalea uh, or vice versa if you put jungle with mangrove jungle looks like lighter mangrove so you mm -hmm. can kind of use them in both ways and it just um similar to what you're saying about like the shaders making it look like the light was hitting so when the shaders are on the color change you can make it look like the top or the higher parts of the plant are growing into the sunshine yeah and um now that we have the vine growth turned off on the citadel i can place vines on the sides of blocks which again add to the idea that it looks like it might be being hit by something bright and it gives like little highlights and it makes the block look a little bit more dense as far as the leaf coverage and it won't grow so we have control over that now which is great so uh, on the next um area that i did which is around the corner uh which is just the alleyway between the dock master's house and the keep there was a bunch of buttresses that i had put in a few weeks ago and i knew that they eventually needed to be um put together and and like some greenery needed to happen but i was i have a door there or i had a door there it's now a secret passage in a different house which is a whole fun little story but very hard to get screenshots of and I've, I've removed the door and i've added in the vines i didn't go as far as to put the cherry blossoms because i thought they were just a little bit too bright for this area but uh it really changes the feeling of the alley to have 
all of this gray intermingled with some what you use your imagination ivy or any kind of like thing that would grow up you know from the ground and then because it's an alley and there wouldn't be a lot of direct sunlight these things have to grow high enough that they can get hit by the sunlight as it passes through mm -hmm. so i actually used the shaders to kind of figure out where the sun would hit the wall and knew i had to get everything at least that high and the thing that I've noticed now doing this a couple times over the last week, I really wish we had just a little bit more than carpet blocks or like moss carpet to connect leaf blocks. I'm not the biggest fan of that angular connection when the, the edge of a block and uh, connects at a 45 degree angle to another block. Like they really don't have a face touching one another. I have a hard time in my brain connecting them artistically. And so it makes me think like, I really wish we had, I mean, not for the, it's a terrible name, but like leaf slabs yeah. or, or a, sh a short leaf block, you know, like a short shrub, um, for custom stuff like this, it would really be, uh, something that, that could go a long way or, or, and I guess if I'm going to be asking for the stars here, um, I noticed that the mangrove roots act like a solid block. So you can attach torches to the side of them. You can put hanging roots underneath them. You can attach uh, cave vines underneath them, but you can't do that with leaf blocks. I really wish that we could attach those kind of things that we hang underneath stuff to leaf blocks because cave vines where we can control with shears how far they grow and whether or not they have glow berries on them would look fantastic underneath some of your own overhanging vine structures. Uh, hanging roots, depending on where you are, could look really cool. Uh, propagules, you can put those on mangrove leaf blocks, of course, but they don't go on anything else. So unless you're using mangrove leaves for your vine, you can't put like little blossoms hanging down from them with the, with the propagules. So I noticed like a few things that were kind of like bugging me from a design perspective. It's like, man, I really wish we could do this. Uh, it would be nice to be able to have those kind of things attached like the greenery attached to other greenery i feel like makes sense uh and i i don't know why i didn't realize that the mangrove roots really had a lot of aspects of solid blocks did, like did you was that something that you've kind of like squirreled away to talk about on the survival guide coming up because like it feels like you don't it's not something that when you look at it you don't think oh yeah this will work like a solid block yeah, they, they, they come across a lot more like leaves. The, uh, the thing that surprises me about mangrove roots is that you can harvest them with an axe most efficiently, so that they're, right. they're kind of like the rest of the trunk of the tree. But yeah, like they, they certainly were used to transparency indicating that they act like leaf blocks or glass or you know something that needs a little bit more precision to pick up with silk touch save. So, so like it, it is really odd working with mangrove roots and realizing that a lot of their properties are those of solid blocks and the the only thing that you don't tend to like they're, they're opaque blocks effectively but with transparency um i'm not sure if they like conduct redstone power or anything like that that's a, a few other weird things to test but the most novel use of them i found is as waterlogged blocks in a cobblestone generator so if you're if you've got like a, a mangrove root block waterlogged above like a piston that's kind of you know pushing the cobblestone through and then your lava source is flowing out into a space underneath the uh the the lava source then then that's a stone generator and so there's there's a lot of weird things that you can do with them that definitely feel 
like this isn't your standard leaf block you know this is, is really yeah. quite quite odd um th- talking about things like connecting greenery i'm not sure if this was one of the emails we read on the main show or if it was one we saved for the render distance but um we we had somebody write in about additional blocks that could have slabs and stairs and, and different wood types you know kind of going along the same lines as bamboo having its own wood type now and what other materials are out there that could have their own wood type and i'm wondering if being able to make planks out of cactus would be like a good way of having you know cacti slabs and stairs and things like that giving us more of like a a growing vine like texture that maybe you could hang leaves off of after that so maybe there's some some mileage in cactus stairs after all Oh yeah, I, like because it's a solid block, and so a slab and a stair would make sense in yeah. that particular case. Even to have a green trapdoor that, <laughs> yeah, from the ground you wouldn't be able to really see that it's a trapdoor. Like if the texture was right, you know, like there's some things where it just doesn't work. Trapdoors you just you put them down and they just they look like a trapdoor no matter what you do. Um, but then there's other times where you can use them to connect things. Like I feel like the spruce trapdoor is used a lot to connect like slabs and stairs and different textures in spruce to kind of get that subtle either change in pitch or connecting a roof overhang to look a little bit more solid i know i use them like that all the time like placed up underneath the eaves to kind of connect roofs together um and and sometimes you can use trapdoors like that and then other times just like that the birch that like it just looks like a trapdoor like there's nothing yeah. to do. Or, or or something like uh, the the warped and the crimson ones like where they've got holes in them and they're see-through and it depends on on what you want to do in some cases it works very well like if you want the top of a block to look like it has a lid then you can use something like an acacia trapdoor and it even has like a little latch on it that makes it look like it's going to function the way that you expect um, but yeah, the one thing that I, I did manage to do, but I, I did not remember to take a screenshot was when I was looking at the, um, the vines, the pink vines on the South face, they really stood out and the whole thing sort of felt unbalanced. And what I did is I went back in to the pier, which is right next to it. You can sort of see it in one of the screenshots. And I changed some of the crates on the pier from spruce and oak, pl- uh, crates to acacia and mangrove and mangrove would have not been available to me when i first built the pier yeah sure and so i was just using all the wood that i had available to me and what happened was it was a very subtle change but it increased the color and the contrast on the dock and so it helped balance out the very bright pink flowers and it didn't it didn't feel quite as like the the flowers were stealing the show like it it became more of a of an ensemble uh, of color and i try not to go back and and redo things because then i'll be working in westall until i'm 50 but but it was fun to be like wait a minute you know what i i have the tools now to go back and 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 fix things so when you're in when you're in um the survival guide and i know that a lot of the time when a new minecraft version comes out you tend to either restart or um there tends to be a bit of a shift there do you ever like go back and like redo something that was either problematic like you just didn't have the right block for something and then you go back and like change either the textures of a build or mechanically if you've like if there was something that really aided a redstone farm like say for example if you were working on uh, a survival guide world and then wireless redstone comes out with um uh, sensors right with skulk sensors would you go back or would you kind of go forward and kind of try to create something new 
I'd probably take the approach of creating something new, of finding maybe another example of the same thing that I could do and just do it in a different way. Like if, say, it was a skeleton spawner or something and it was, you know, possible to add right. some of those yeah. mechanics in. Like, I, I I, feel like it makes sense for the progression, the technical progression of the world to keep a lot of that older stuff there. But then, obviously, with Survival Guide, I'm focused on things being tutorials and I feel like going back and changing stuff is not always a tutorial I can make particularly well like it, it helps for people to see this the whole process from start to finish instead of just hey remember that thing we did a couple of years ago well we're just going to go back and tweak this one aspect of it i think that's a lot easier to do in worlds where you've got like long-term building projects and a lot of the focus is on aesthetics or you're not focused on guiding people through the process step by step necessarily but yeah i can i can see that being a a draw in this and i'm glad that you're able to find stuff that you're like well just one or two things would do because i didn't have mangrove at the time i think that's a uh, a fun approach to take i think that's my excuse is that i've been building this city long enough that there have been things added in some places i've actually held off like i i waited until certain blocks were available before i did certain builds you know like i the whole south wall i knew that deep slate was coming so i was like i'm gonna wait until that gets here before i do anything down there um, I think the only reason I'm letting myself do it is because I'm still building in the area. I'm not just revisiting something that is done and then looking at it and saying, how can I change it? It's more like I'm still building and finishing this area. And because I've made changes to it as it's now finished, the site next to it looks off or doesn't, doesn't seem to be, um, like I would have noticed this had I done this all at one time, I think is my my excuse yeah um, but i'm getting really close to being finished i've got a that to-do list that i have in minecraft was about 10 minecraft book pages long and i've checked off like eight or nine pages uh there's maybe five or six items on the to-do list within the town um and then there's bigger things outside like i've got to put a swamp out the front and there's road things that need to happen um so those are like less about west hill and more about like the west hill valley and surrounding countryside so i'm trying not to consider those as part of like completing the build because again i'll be there until 2024 um but the i'm getting real close and it's it's both cool and really kind of an odd feeling finishing something of this scale you're just kind of like is is, is it done is it really done it's weird <laughs> feels weird feels weird yeah. to be done feels weird to be done and i'm not there yet but it's it's like i can, I can feel the kind of not anxiety but like that kind of strange um the 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 best thing i can do to to line it up is as an artist when you're working on something especially a personal piece pushing it aside and saying okay that's finished for someone like me that's difficult sometimes and learning that skill is something that even though i have it in art i have not yet mastered it in minecraft <laughs> well we've all got to move on at some point and this podcast has to move on to a new segment which is once again populated by very little. Uh, we've been keeping an eye on stuff like Bedrock Edition, change logs, and stuff like that, but none of it feels significant enough to really report. Um, there are a couple of like minor changes and stuff. There's you know a few features that were experimental that are now in the most recent like beta release as confirmed features. Um, but we're not going to focus too much on that stuff, and we're sure that many folks at Mojang are either hard at work on whatever the the next project is that they can't show us yet or hopefully enjoying some summer vacation days now that the latest updates have been released successfully we are of course going to keep a close eye on things and we're going to relay any news that crops up as summer progresses but once again this is a 
slow news week. And we're probably just going to get straight into chunk mail. Uh, so if you'd like to email the show with any of the activities you've been getting up to in 1.20 and beyond, the email address, as ever, is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Keep them short and sweet. They might have a chance to be read on the show, especially when we do our chunk mail dispenser episodes like the one last week. Uh, Joel, why don't you take us away with this first email? First one comes in from Clover Blonde. Regards to self-imposed challenges. Hello, Johnny and Joel. Great episode last week. They're referring to episode 253. This email was from a week or so ago. I am a longtime player of the game, joining three days before the beta ended. Yet, despite pouring probably 10,000 hours into the game across PC, PlayStation, and Xbox, I still have yet to complete the game by beating the dragon. I figured there would have been an update to the end to give it more life. I also never understood the importance of shulko chests or elytra. Because of this, my builds are always local and focused on travel by foot or horse. The world always seems much bigger when you can only travel by that means. So going far away feels adventurous. My new challenge is motivated by the two of you. Johnny, I started watching you on YouTube back in the winter for building inspiration. You really inspired me to take the leap and get prepared to start recording Minecraft as a fun hobby. So my new challenge is to finally take on the end. Clover Blonde was lost to the sea of video editor options. <laughs> well, if you want a, a quick recommendation, uh, I've heard for a lot of people DaVinci Resolve is a really good uh, editing program. A lot of people use it for professional color grading. Um, there's a pro version and a free version, but if you're looking to not get mired in the ecosystem of something like Adobe or, you know, you're having trouble finding all of the freeware video editors that are out there, try Resolve out. Um, I haven't used it much myself, but I hear very good things from the people who do. I currently use Premiere, but that is an over, like overlapping extension of me having the adobe creative cloud suite subscription which yeah, same because i don't do a lot of i mean i do some art these days but not like an absolute ton so i don't need to have the subscription it's i mean it's a better deal than just paying for photoshop because i mean just photoshop is something like 70 percent of the full suite so you might as well just get the full suite for the times that you need it um i know premiere is not the best for editing podcasts which is what i use it for mostly but because I export directly uh, to YouTube as well. Um, on your recommendation, I've just decided to use Premiere to edit the podcast because it means I can just edit the once in the one program and then edit the audio and then or export the audio and then export the video as well. Um, there are a lot of videos out there uh, for Premiere. I'm assuming at this point, there's probably a lot of tutorial videos out there for DaVinci Resolve. Yeah, tons. Um, yeah, if you are on a Mac, you could probably look at Final Cut Pro. It depends on like your budget and and whether or not you have access to that. Uh, sometimes through school programs, uh, different software suites are available, especially if you're only doing it for a hobby, because then it's not a license that you need to make money with it. You just you're just going to do it for fun. Um, and, and that's the case. You can probably um, check that kind of stuff out. Um, I I feel like Photoshop is still the gold standard for like doing thumbnails and stuff like that. That's how I do the thumbnails for, for this podcast when we do stuff for YouTube and social media. But again, I'm just spoiled by having one access to this because it's, you know, has always been part of my, my job. But then two, uh, I was just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? My, my workflow was kind of into Photoshop ever since university. So there was a barrier to entry for anything else. And so I just never took that leap. 
Um, but if you're getting into this for the first time, absolutely test the waters uh, before you, like if you have access to like trial versions or demo versions, test a bunch of different programs because you never know, like you might be, uh, you might try something and then realize that you've got the, you've, you've done all this work into your workflow and then realize, oh, there's another option that's either cheaper or free or better. But if you're kind of stuck in your ways, which believe me, can happen, uh, then it becomes harder to switch software suites. Uh, I, I know I deal with that challenge all the time, but uh, hopefully, hopefully it works out. It sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I am impressed with the lack of Elytra and Chilker box. <laughs> Same. That yeah. lives on a server that's six years old this month. Like there's just no way. Now, in some ways, like I was thinking about this email. I was like, well, there's no way I would have built Westill without Elytra because that would have just been tedious with all the towers and how high I have to get and how far I have to get away to look at something and and the amount of time I would have spent walking around would have been really, really problematic. But I don't, if I did not have Elytra, I don't think I would have attempted something like West Hill, you know, a village, sure, but not a giant town, I don't think. And we've mentioned before that Elytra tends to open up not only the scale at which players build, but also the perspective from which people look at builds. Because if you're on a server, then people are going to be flying over your base more than they're just going to be walking up to it. Uh, but I do remember the days of just how vast the Minecraft world felt before Elytra were something that were in my inventory and something I could I could handle. Uh, I was never much of a horse guy, but I was a Minecraft or a minecart guy. That was my, I just thought they were cool. I thought, why, why ride a horse when I can jump in a minecart and go in the nether, go in my nether tunnel, get in the minecart that, that's going to take me to where I want to go and then go get a cup of coffee and come back and I'll be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The hands-free <laughs> travel option is, uh, yeah. is, is kind of tempting. Yeah, I wish they were faster. And we've had, it was a bit, it's been a long time since we did like a deep dive on minecarts, but there, there are things that I wish that they did that I think would make them more viable now. Uh, but, but at the time, I just thought they were really neat. Uh, any kind of movement in the game is something like that I really enjoy, like things that move without you kind of interacting with them. Uh, or, you know, in this case, both, you know, uh, it would be interesting if you could do something like, switch tracks and and move around that way and i think that that could take kind of like um grounded travel to a, a whole different different realm but i'm 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 happy to hear that you know we've inspired some challenges and and uh that you have yet to take on the end that should be interesting uh let us know like if uh since it's been this long with this many hours in the game across all those platforms as you do get into the end and experience uh, defeating the dragon and and going and finding your first elytra and your your shulker boxes then let us know how it goes because i for one even if i was on the ground don't think i could go without shulker boxes i just like to be too organized and chests just don't cut it i i need to be able to sort things and move things around and for the kind of building that i want to do artistically there's just i wouldn't be able to do it without shulker boxes yeah, I, I, I'm kind of the same because a lot of my projects are going to take me further afield and like I, Clover Blonde's assertion that the builds are always local is, is such an interesting thing. Like it's, mm -hmm. imagining, like I like to build up a, a, a small settlement or like a few houses and kind of start a builds and farms and stuff at what I think of as my spawn location. It's not always at spawn, but it's usually nearby and then I tend to go and do projects in different biomes. Like I tend to build, you know, I want to build a desert civilization out there in a big desert biome. I want to build like a jungle village somewhere. I want to, you know, mess around with stuff like that. And so I almost 
prefer my builds to be the opposite of local. Like, I like to touch every part of the world where I can. And so you need, you know, inventory to travel with you, or you need to set up an individual outpost and gather all your resources from that location. And, and, and it becomes something like, you know, the same process of setting up every time where you've got to do some tree farming. So you've got wood and, you know, bringing all of the saplings and whatnot with you can be a bit of a pain sort of feels like you're starting from scratch every time you're in a new area, unless you can bring all of that inventory with you. Um, but yeah, I, I will agree. Um, I think we both kind of have this this perspective, is that once you have a Lytra, the world really opens up, and the scale of the world never feels the same after that, because you're always going to be able to see stuff from the top down. You're always going to be able to travel, you know, a few thousand blocks in a matter of minutes, and it, it definitely changes the game. Like, I think it's quite fascinating that Clover Blonde has been playing since beta and has that amount of hours in the game, but considering that Elytra have been a thing since 1.9, so we've had 11 releases in which we've been able to travel that way, albeit for the first couple of versions you didn't have rocket boosting and whatnot, but I, I think it's really interesting not having interacted with that content at all. Whether it's holding out because of a potential update to the end or whether it's just, you know, reticence to go there and not wanting to leave your current way of life behind. It's a, a really interesting way to play. So yeah, hats off to you for sticking around in the overworld and the nether for this long, but good luck in the end and I hope it serves you well once you've got some wings to uh, fly around the place. The next email comes in from G, and hopefully I pronounced that right. There's three E's, two H's, and a Z. So uh, yeah, hopefully that was more or less correct. The subject is a furious cocktail. Hi, Joel and Johnny. On your latest episode, 254, The Cherry Blossom on Top, you read an email about the difficulties of understanding enchantments. This reminded me of the first roadblock I really hit when playing Minecraft, potions. With all the new features aimed towards explaining game progression, such as ruined portals and added advancements, it seems strange to me that Mojang has never thought about clarifying brewing. Making potions is one of the hardest game mechanics for me due to how much there is to remember about specific item combinations. Even today I have to look up how to make potions of night vision so I don't accidentally poison myself. I was wondering if you shared my cluelessness and if you had any ideas about how to make potion brewing more accessible and able to be learned inside the game. Thanks for any response, and I love the show. After being mysteriously poisoned, Xi took half a heart of damage and died. I learned how to brew potions in Minecraft on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I believe it was Pulsars Jr. It could have been somebody else. But it could have been like Hermitcraft. I don't remember exactly how advanced I got into watching YouTube before I started playing myself. Uh like in depth. Uh, but when it came time for me to actually brew potions in Minecraft, which I believe I started to do in my single player world, I absolutely looked up recipe online. Like I looked up like a little legend, like a little key. Yeah. Like use this, this, this plus this equals that. Uh, and like the process. And then I learned about like the, the nether wart function from a YouTube video. Otherwise I don't think I would have been able to sort it out on my own. I think that would have been something much like enchanting that we were talking about. I think I would have been straight to the internet going like, how on earth does this work? Yeah. You know, um, or I, I possibly would have asked Steven who got me into Minecraft. I was like, okay, what's this do? Like, why, like, what do I do with this thing? Because I, I for a little while when I first started playing, like I, I had someone on the server with me that I can ask that I had more experience and his boys were obviously very knowledgeable as well. Um, I found potion brewing pretty tedious. So I've not really bothered with it unless absolutely necessary. I have a brewing stand that 
I think was the first one I built on the server. It's still in my log cabin in Dartmouth Meadows. It hasn't moved. I know I've used it. I know I have a chest in there that's a bunch of brewing ingredients, but I just, I've only ever used it just for essentially probably fire resistance potions for building the nether hub, like just stuff like that. The nice part about being on a server is when others feel the same, sometimes you'll have a server mate like my friend Matcast who built an auto brewing lab based on <laughs> Tango Tech designs and yeah. built, I think, six of the potions that are the most frequent for us, which are like fire resistance, water breathing, speed, uh, or swiftness, I should say, uh, strength, health, and I want to say the other one might be might be night vision mm -hmm. because Matcast and I very early on, we were clearing an ocean monument and I think we got sick of trying to make, um, trying to make water breathing potions. And, and so Matcast decided to do this. So Matcast is like, help yourself. But if you take some, please replenish the ingredients that, that go into the, the thing. So whenever I go and I fill a shulker box full of water breathing potions, I always check to see how much of the ingredients are left and like do i have anything i can deposit all of my uh, we recycle all of my empty glass bottles go into a chest <laughs> at the facility and and they get they either get distributed manually or they get distributed automatically i can't remember um but it's so nice to have and unfortunately it's really put me on the i haven't brewed a potion on my own in a really long time so i don't remember hardly any of them off the top of my head um but after a quick bit of research uh, upon getting this email and deciding to put it in the show, uh, the UI just indicates that you've got glass bottles along the bottom and blaze powder on the left-hand side. And it, it, if you've had a science class in any kind of school situation, you kind of realize, okay, it looks like the blaze powder is kind of like the fire. Like this is kind of like the power that makes it work. And then the, the glass bottles obviously kind of speak for themselves. Um, there's no indication that I can find that you need nether wart. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's an advancement that lines that up for you. Uh, Cause I didn't look that far, but there's no, again, no indication that after you use nether wart that you then have to put those potions either back in or you have to leave them there and then add something else. Like there's nothing that gives you that kind of information. Now, in recent updates, we've had changes to the smithing table where they've taken these little, I want to call them ghost images. They're not quite a full icon, but they're like the uh, uh, dimmed version, a dimmed outline of what the item could be. And I think if they made some changes to the UI in the brewing stand, that that could help considerably. Just like we have the blaze powder outline there, if they had the items kind of cycle through like you could put sugar in here you could put a puffer fish in here like if they had that kind of stuff rotate through the the box that it goes and they had a separate box for the enhancers like the gunpowder the glowstone dust and the redstone dust which unfortunately all have the same silhouette so i don't know how that would work necessarily in trying to indicate what those might be it might be hard to rotate through those and, and indicate what they could be um you're still not going to have an end res like you're not going to have a clue in the interface as to what the end result would be so there's going to still be some problem solving and experimentation by the player but at least you would be like okay well this thing obviously takes these kind of items let me see what they do let me like do i drink this after like what what happens with this and i think that would be at least a good step i don't think it's necessarily going to fix the problem because i i still think that we need more information for 
a brand new onboarding player that that is trying to learn the game on their own uh, or wanted the, the game to tell them like what to do next. There needs to be a little bit more, I don't want to say hand-holding, but I really feel like there needs to be a progression through brewing for it to be something that is able to be tackled in game without referring to outside information. Yeah, I kind of agree. And I think it would require something like you're suggesting, like a, a redesign of the brewing stand UI, because if you just had the single input slot that we have now, and it's cycled through a bunch of ingredients, you're going to make a bunch of useless potions because the majority of them need nether wart to go in first. And honestly, as far as the enhancers like the gunpowder and the, the redstone and glowstone, there are only a couple of other items that look like that in-game, and one of them is sugar, and once you put sugar in that slot and realized it didn't do anything, then you can just remove that by process of elimination, right? So if you just assume that anything else with that powder shape is going to do something, then potentially some trial and error can get you there. Whereas trial and error is a very bad way of figuring out how to use potions in-game right now. Um, the potion stand also doesn't have a recipe book in the same way that furnaces do, for example, because the process of brewing is more complex because you need to add an ingredient and then re-add other ingredients to the same potions in order to get them to work. And so you can't necessarily display that in the same way we do current crafting recipes. You've got to maybe make it slightly more complex and pictographic in order for people to understand it. So yeah, I, I think the problem right now is that these are systems like enchanting that do rely a certain amount on the age of the mechanics and the fact that they haven't changed for a long time being subject to a lot of circulation of community information around that. And so like the smithing table, because they changed the way it works very recently, and it's a fairly recent block to begin with, but they've changed its functionality for 1.20, everybody had to be brought up to speed on how it worked now. And so it makes sense for them to add in something of an in-game tutorial or a system of sorts to demonstrate these are the items that need to be put here. Whereas with the brewing stand, because it's not really been updated for a while, I think they're sort of relying on people knowing through community knowledge, kind of absorbing it through osmosis, uh, whether you have to put in netherwort first or what ingredients are used or that kind of thing. Even if they had something that if you hovered over the input slot, like the hover text that you get in the, the, the um, smithing table now, if it just had something that said, try starting with a nether wart, you know, like even something right. like that could help a great deal because then the only other things that would start to activate the brewing stand would be the other ingredients that can be used to make potions. You could put in a stick or something, and then when it didn't start bubbling, you just kind of assume, okay, so sticks aren't an ingredient, let me try something else. And then the process of elimination is at least aided with a little bit of help from the game. Whereas right now you can put in magma cream and it will start bubbling and you think, oh, it's doing something. And then what you get is... I think it's like a thick potion or something like that. One of those holdovers from when the potion brewing system was going to be even more complex than it currently is. And it just doesn't do anything after that. You can't even turn it into a functional potion from there. So yeah, I do think that while it's kind of fun to encourage a bit of experimentation in-game, it can get frustrating for anybody who doesn't have access to that information. I wonder with the attention to the color of potions that has 
happened recently and the comments from i think it was king b dog saying like it's a temporary solution it's not the best to only delineate these with color however uh this is the the best solution we have right now i felt like the the um the idea there was that they're going to revisit either potion design or they're it's on their radar that these need some updating and i wonder if that's the case that brewing might actually get some attention like it might get a bit of a a, a revamp um if they're going to attempt to change like say the shapes or the icons of the different potions to help them be more distinct and and readable by the players then it might be a good opportunity to also then look at uh, how those shapes could be influenced in in the, the brewing stand and whether or not a recipe book would be something that would be important or doable or whatever um, I know that the materials that come from the nether are what is used to make a brewing stand, but I often associate brewing with the end because of how weird and magical it is. And we also find brewing stands in um, end cities as well when you're out exploring. Yeah. And I kind of wonder like if a revamped brewing would be something that might go along with, you know, an, an end dimension update, you know, whatever that might look like. That could be really interesting too, especially if you wanted to, I don't want to say farther gate brewing, but like if you wanted to have an additional level to brewing that was behind beating the dragon, where like you couldn't get certain ingredients unless you went to the end islands or something like that, that could be really cool and could add some depth to brewing that, that it currently I wouldn't say doesn't have because it's a pretty deep system as it is. I think it, it's hard to call something a deep system when it's so hard to just get into. Like, yeah, making it less it, esoteric, I think, is the first yes. the first like challenge yeah. in in really uh, resolving that. In the meantime, I do recommend the Minecraft Wiki's fantastic potion brewing flowcharts. It's just at the top of the article about brewing, and it's just glorious. Like, print that out and laminate it. In the meantime, if you're having trouble, but uh, yeah, it's it's certainly. Uh, a conundrum for the future and it's funny that you bring up the fact that the end ships have brewing stands in them i wonder if anybody out there has a lore theory on why the end city ships have brewing stands because on the one hand it can just be like a fun piece of set dressing in there but there's nothing else really like that in the end you know everything else is very thematic to the area and the end doesn't really have anything associated with potion brewing other than those brewing stands like that there are no ingredients that you can get from the end aside from i guess the dragon's breath that really contribute to potion brewing so the fact that they have that there is yeah kind of kind of wild to me i'm, I'm curious if anybody has any any insight into that um brian diedrich in uh the our live chat is pointing out that the end rod recipe does require blaze rods so maybe that's what the Endermen are warping around every dimension looking for is blaze rods. Kind of curious. I wonder. So what did you want to get into in the main discussion this week? So the main discussion is, I will admit, kind of prompted by this being my third week away from the game. I, I don't normally spend too long away from Minecraft unless I'm visiting my, my in-laws in the United States. And so I have, you know, <laughs> we can maybe call it withdrawal symptoms if we want to label it that, but I, I've been you know, casting my eye around and kind of mentally preparing myself for getting back into the game and, and doing some more building. And 
I it occurred to me that a lot of the time when I'm exploring a space, whether it's a familiar place in the real world or if it's if it's somewhere somewhere new or even like other environments in video games, I find myself looking around and wondering how something would look if I've rebuilt it in Minecraft and what materials I would use to build it. And I wonder if there's like a level of experience that you get with the game or if it's just, you know, a, a typical thing of anybody who's enthusiastic about Minecraft that you sort of end up playing Minecraft in your own head as you're traveling around, like looking at, at new things. So like in my early days with the game, I used to read the Minecraft wiki on the bus to work, and I typically only have a few hours to play when I got home. So I think a lot of the Minecraft I was doing in the early stages was very theoretical. You know, I was learning outside of gameplay. And in those days, I didn't spend a great deal of time trying to reproduce structures from real world reference. I was more like playing the game for the game's sake. But there are a couple of windmills around near where I live. Like I'm I live in, you know, not the countryside, but there's it's very easy to access the countryside from where I live. And there are a lot of old like mills that we used to grind wheat and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that still exist as part of older infrastructure that's now preserved as a sort of historical site. And I feel like the fact that that may have subtly influenced my ideas to build windmills in my early Xbox 360 worlds when I first started playing back in 2014. I think that's not an accident. And so I'm kind of wondering if that's something you've noticed about your life and if any of our listeners have about wandering around in the real world and kind of mentally block picking from structures around you or thinking, I wonder how I could rebuild the angles of that building or the, you know, main features of that building uh, in a Minecraft context. It 100% happened a lot more when I first started playing the game. Uh, I feel like when I did not have the artistic palette, the library of builds in my brain that I do now, I, I would have constantly been thinking about like, well, what am I going to build next? Or like, what, how do I make this shape? Or what, how could I do this in Minecraft? And it was a little bit different for me on the first early days of the Citadel because for the longest time I wasn't doing any kind of like realistic houses. Like I was doing infrastructure and farms and tunnels and they were very much just like pallets and shapes and they weren't really meant to be anything specific from the world. But as I get into doing more and wanted to have full 360 builds, like when I stopped doing just like facades of farms or the insides of tunnels, but not the outside, uh, when I started doing like houses that had like wharves and embankments and flowers and uh, riverbanks and things, when I started landscaping, I noticed that I was having a lot of trouble because it's not something that I kind of inherently knew how to do in Minecraft. And I started noticing that I was looking at landscapes when I was hiking and thinking like, how could I recreate this in Minecraft? Because uh, there are the cliffs in Minecraft, they're better now with one not 18, but at the time, you really had to make your own if you wanted to have any kind of cool looking cliff or waterfall or something like that. And so I found that I started to make notes of like, okay, this is how random this little brook looks. This is, you know, what uh, roots and trees, like you think you know what a hiking trail looks like. And it's like, well, wait a minute, this, this whole cliff has like an overhang where like the roots of the trees kind of stick out sometimes. And the things like that that you try to incorporate into into minecraft the details uh and i was looking at the world in the same way that i would look at the world in terms of drawing but again i hadn't done that in a while because as a professional artist of 20 plus years like i had a 
large visual vocab, you know, vocabulary of like, what does a coffee mug look like? You know, what does a fork look like? What does a blender look like? I kind of knew how to draw one without looking at one for reference for enough for people to kind of like get the gist. But in Minecraft, I didn't have that yet. I didn't have that uh, library of kind of like go-to builds. And so I found that I was looking around. Um, it's definitely related to how much Minecraft I play at the time. I find that if I'm down to a few days a week and I'm streaming and I'm kind of like, I want to say in robot mode, but I'm very deep into a project. Like right now with West Hill, not looking at the world a lot. And and, and my brain doesn't necessarily go like, how do I build that in, in Minecraft? I think because what I'm building is so far removed from like where I live and what I see in a day-to-day -day basis. Now, that was very different when I started building the modern city in Minecraft because I've never built a modern city before in Minecraft. So it was completely new. And I remember going for a walk in my neighborhood to just run an errand and making a mental note, like, remember when you get to the top of the street, Joel, when you cross the street, count how many steps it takes to cross the street. Mm -hmm. You roughly take, you roughly take one meter long strides, figure out how wide the road is. Cause this is something you don't think about. Like in your brain, you think, okay, there's two lanes in the street. A car is roughly you know, two seats wide, I kind of know what that looks like. But when you're in the car, how much space is on either side of you, you kind of know where to drive not to hit anything, but you don't realize just how much space is around you on a road. Even just a regular city street is quite wide, you know? And so I remember doing all the mental math, like, okay, well, how can I do this in a way that I can still have the center lines and the road markings be roughly the right proportions? What sacrifices am I going to have to make? Like, for example, I've used full minecraft blocks to paint like lines on the road no line on a road is a meter wide they're they're long they're much longer than you think because you're driving and so they go by quickly they look like they're only three feet long but they're more like nine or ten feet long uh in real life in terms of like the dotted line on a road uh at least around here and so that i thought was really interesting so that you know what you're talking about reminded me of when I was really looking at the city around me and not just like buildings and skyscrapers and stuff like that. I could look those up online. It was more about like the actual experience of being on the ground, street level, sidewalk level, curbs, gutters, like where are they? How, like the thing that I, I try not to take for granted, but I live in an older part of Dartmouth. There's a lot of old trees. There's a lot of really nice greenery around. So even though I'm in the city, it's still a very green space. And, you know, making that kind of mental note to like how close the trees are to the, to the street, how much they overhang. Don't forget about things like utilities. Like I still live in a part of the world where power poles are above ground. You know, like we've got, you know, that's why I lose power all the time in storms is because so much of my neighborhood has got like telephone poles, uh, street lamps and, and wires that can be taken down by tree branches and things like that. So there's all these details that I look at. And ultimately I remember being frustrated as well, because like you look at something like, well, the telephone pole is only 12 inches diameter. Like I, I, that's not, I need to find something that's not a full block in Minecraft. And there's only so many options that you have, you know, in terms of making street lamps and things like that. I remember feeling frustrated as I was looking around the world, thinking, how would I build this in Minecraft and realizing, ah, there's nothing I can do like that. Like I can't do that in Minecraft because of how skinny it is, you know? Yeah, and, and I think that's a, a really interesting exercise for exposing the kind of building blocks that we need in Minecraft, like whether it's totally. in terms of shapes or it's in terms of materials. Like we, we all know that people want like, you know, concrete slabs and stuff like that, but thinking in, in terms of color and texture 
are there any materials we see in real life that really don't feel like they have an equivalent in Minecraft? And that's the kind of thing that I think can be really useful feedback to the art team when it comes to, you know, pitching new blocks and designing textures for stuff. Like, what can... Even if it's not necessarily the exact material, what other blocks that they are adding can they make subtle changes to in order for it to pass as a different type of material so we can use it as a roof texture when it's really meant to be a natural block that you find in the ground, you know? Like the way I started using mud as more like a darker stone type in natural builds even though it's really meant to just be sludgy ground material. So yeah, like I, I've I have found myself, you know, there's a low level part of my brain which is always observing the materials around me and trying to equate them to Minecraft stuff. And I agree that, like, if you're building a medieval town like you've been doing for the last little while, then you, the world around you is not necessarily going to serve as fantastic inspiration for that, but it's at least going to give you an idea of, like, if there are any mock Tudor buildings around, then that can give you, like, at least some guidelines here and there. And you can also then take a look at how mock Tudor buildings can remain a characteristic part of a more modern city, and maybe they're just heritage buildings that the city doesn't want to take down, or, you know, they're listed buildings and they're protected, that kind of thing. So th there's a there's a lot to be to be gained from that. But I really found myself, yeah, like like you, I think I found myself looking at the world around me as my affinity for building grew when I was still in the early stages of figuring out, like, once I was on PC, do I want to be, like, really focused on building? And I started to find myself studying the world around me a lot more closely and learning bits and pieces from the way real-world structures are composed. And it also strikes me that, you know, video games are seen as a distraction from reality, but this is almost the inverse of that, where Minecraft has actually started to encourage me to take an interest in the world around me and in architecture, which is a field I wouldn't have had any interest in being primarily like a music student uh, during my, my traditional education. I think now it's the kind of thing that I'm taking a lot more of an interest in because of the creative side of, of building structures in a video game. And the real thing that all of this brought up for me was that, like, it occurred to me Minecraft Earth was such an interesting experiment with this because that was one of the first times that you could take Minecraft out into the world with you and build virtual stuff alongside real structures. And it, it kind of made me nostalgic for that, and, and I really kind of wish in a sense that the app had stuck around for longer because one of my sort of wish list features would have been something like a block picker, almost like a color picker from image editing software like Photoshop, but something that would allow you to sample a material from the real world and whether you were in creative mode or if you just had the blocks stored in survival, it would have given you the closest Minecraft block to build with. Um, and so I don't know if there are probably ways that you can sample an image that would probably give you something like that. But say you're looking at a modern building and you kind of tap on something with a, a block picker and it says, well, that's probably closest to white terracotta, for example. And then you start mm. building with that and you're trying to more or less accurately mirror something that's built in the world near you but in a virtual environment in minecraft like that's the kind of stuff that although it had its limitations in terms of building size and obviously the ar mode was a, a big drain on battery but it's the kind of thing that i really wish people could have used minecraft earth for had it been around for a little bit longer and not during a global pandemic i wonder what's possible now with ai 
in like we've used uh, AI to generate one of our um, title cards a little while ago, and it was like the prompts I used were things like pixel art, Minecraft, waterfalls, sunshine, like a bunch of stuff like that. And it wasn't perfect pixel art, but it really it really did feel like the kind of idea, a, a conceptual base that you could then bring and springboard from in Minecraft. I think I also threw in something like Super Mario Nintendo because I wanted that kind of vibe. Yeah. And, you know, you could if you could have something like that where it could take, you know, a, a, an image or a video especially if you could render it fast enough where you can walk around something and kind of give you like a voxel version uh or or something like that as like a springboard palette like that would be very very cool and i'm i, I would imagine doable i don't know how viable like probably the amount of effort going in versus like how do you monetize it and all that kind of stuff i, I imagine the, the bottleneck there is like somebody has to has it um as a passion project as opposed to like uh, an app that you would maybe download uh, as like a purchase but yeah, like I think that's a really interesting way of of looking at it. And I'm glad you mentioned architecture too, because that is something where uh, I used to want to be an architect. Like there was that was a, a decision that I made in my in my teens where I'd always wanted to be a cartoonist. I always want to work like a Disney animation stuff like that. Um, but I also wanted and was looking at other career options that were maybe a little bit more secure and stuff like that. And Ultimately, I ended up getting into a fine art program, but my backup idea was to go to a local university and take um, architecture. And I, you know, I hadn't thought about it for a long time. And I, when you're designing, doing stuff in cartoons, you sort of look at it a little bit. But most of what I was focused on when I was growing up was character design. So I didn't really get into environments and things. But when I get into Minecraft, I started to get back into architecture because you start to think about like, well, wait a minute, I know what a house looks like, but I've never actually built one. Like what's a good layout for a house. And the moment that you start to look up like reference material online and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. Um, I remember how much I like architecture. And these days uh, it's a flip of a coin. Modern architecture can be very blocky, very bold, a lot of boxes a lot of bold colors, uh, interesting contrasts like wood paneling and, and metal and things. And it can lend itself very well to Minecraft. And I have definitely not necessarily seen things around the city because a lot of the houses that I have in my neighborhood are pretty old. But when I see photographs online, when I'm not looking for Minecraft inspiration, like if I'm going out looking for Minecraft inspiration, obviously I'm thinking about Minecraft. But I've seen things that are advertisements. I've seen things that are just like, cool designs from architecture sites that I follow now. And I immediately think, how can I build this in Minecraft because mm -hmm. of how blocky and square and, and, you know, straight edged it is. And in some ways I find it really inspiring. And then in other ways I find it very frustrating because along the lines of like the skinny blocks and the street lamps and the details that you can't necessarily fit into Minecraft. Then I see something really cool. That's like one of these modern organic looking green spaces that has like you know, an angled awning that's all plants and, and you've got these round structures and domes and all this really cool futuristic looking green space kind of ideas. And you're like, 
I can't do any of that in Minecraft. And that really <laughs> yeah, too, me. too organic. Yeah, too too rounded. Yeah. Too many too many curves, uh, curves, angles. Yeah, yeah, circles and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And or or just even material like so much glass or yes. you know all that kind of stuff that you're like, oh god, like I can't do that because Minecraft just doesn't curve. Like you yeah, just, there's gl- so many things. <laughs> glass domes in Minecraft. While I I love them and they're useful for so many projects where you want to convey a certain thing, they really don't look good. <laughs> it's no. a it's a real on a small scale, I should say, in particular. Like if you build a larger glass dome then yeah, yeah it kind of makes sense but even with like a connected glass texture or something like that there are so many lines that interrupt what should be a smooth surface that i i can't get my head around it it's one of the things that i i always try every possible option before i consider building it because i'm never quite happy enough with the way they look i never thought i just kind of dawned on me now but on a small scale the thing that i i get too wrapped up in doing is emulating or replicating what something looks like in real life so think about like someone's sunroom and they have like those windows that kind of slope in a curve into a roof you know and you're like i don't want to put like two or three blocks at an angle in minecraft in glass because it's going to look dumb but why don't i just change the design keep the overall idea but change it into a square and make like a right angle of glass which is totally doable like you, that's something that happens in modern architecture all the time and i don't know why i i, I just get wrapped up and i wanted to build that that looks cool and yeah. i just i can't do that um it's similar with like windshields on cars like any vehicle in my modern city has a very straight windshield because like otherwise it looks real dumb um and and i think that those are the kind of things that kind of pop into my head as as um like immediate minecraft references the other thing would be lego uh, yeah and and it's it's now lego obviously lends itself very well to to minecraft but again i'm not necessarily looking for inspiration when minecraft pops in it's like i'm looking for a cool build that i want to like buy in lego or uh, very often it's it's things like um mocks which are my own creations in the in the lego sphere and I follow a bunch of creators on Instagram and they'll just post stuff that they've just created themselves. Very often it's Lego versions of modern architecture, but because they've done it in Lego, your brain even like is even more inclined to be like, oh, I could totally do that in Minecraft. And it's it's less of a conversion because it's already in blocks. And granted, Lego has a higher resolution than Minecraft. It still gives you like some great ideas and again like i've definitely found myself my brain goes back to minecraft even though i'm out looking at like lego leisurely with no i like no mission statement for i need to find something cool to build in minecraft like i'm just going out and looking at at random builds for for different things the only time i I, that doesn't happen with lego is when it's like star wars stuff because i just i look at them like well it's it's angles and cool stuff that i just i know i don't have the resolution for in minecraft without getting really frustrated now, with your experience building the uh, the Ecto One Lego set, uh, maybe when you go back to your modern city build, you can build a a Ghostbusters firehouse and and park a car in there. I do think, I, like, yeah, with, with with that being, you, you, we were talking about it in the in the render distance. You were saying it's like it's modeled on a, a Cadillac. It's like the, the, the that kind of yeah. car. And I feel like a lot of Minecraft cars look like Cadillacs because they're just big and boxy and very sixties looking, you know. And so, yeah, I I, I do think that whenever those things come together especially on a on that sort of scale you you just have to adjust them to look boxier and they fit more in the minecraft world even if you have to compromise on their accuracy to real life but if you've got this mindset if you are in the habit of going out there and 
color picking and, and block picking from the, the buildings around you, if you've even attempted to build something, if you've kind of followed through with this idea and tried to rebuild something from real life, write into the show. It'll be fantastic to hear from some people who've actually taken on these projects and keep the discussion going next time we get a round of emails in. But that's going to be it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live when we record it in Discord every week. We have our monthly Minecraft audio hangout and quarterly hangout coming up when my PC returns. And we currently have 311 patrons, which is steady on from last week. There is always room for more, and the Discord is a very welcoming place. Special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Mind Trip Media, Party Voyager, and Yitz. Thank you all for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks at Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And the RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixlriffs, where the Minecraft Survival Guide is currently in its third season, but on hiatus while my PC is in for repairs. I also stream three days a week on Twitch when I have a functional computer, and I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, so you can follow it over there at twitch.tv slash Pixlriffs. I'm voicing the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, even though the PC is in the shop. You can find that through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixlriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Links to everything I am doing online can be found at joelduggan.com, including my other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. I'm Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Thursday through Sunday, building the Citadel Minecraft server and live Lego on Fridays. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and so is the landscape of your mind. Mm-hmm.